Amen. Well, good evening. Go ahead. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 6, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Uh, Zach said in this series, we've been looking at how we relate to God and, and the different habits. Last week, we looked at the Word of God. But what are the habits? What are the actions? What are the, uh, the rhythms, the disciplines in our life that help us to relate to God? And, and I want to start with a question. And that question is, how do you know that you have an authentic relationship with God? How do you know that it's not just another artificial thing? Right? We live in a world saturated with the artificial. Right? We live in a world of artificial intelligence. We live in a world of deep fakes. We live in a world of... Fake news, artificiality, fake, it's all around us, right? Most acutely, we live in, a, in a, an echo chamber, socially, social media, where, where actually our, our understanding of ourselves and our pre- presentation of ourselves is, at its very nature, a, a strange mix of artificiality and authenticity, Right? We even have apps now that try to mitigate against this. We're aware of this. Your generation has been raised in this. You, you've come of age socially in this reality. Right? So we have apps now like, like Be Real right? to try to capture moments that are unfiltered. Right? But everyone knows it's filtered. Like Last week, we're, like, one, you know when Be Real happens because everyone in the room all of a sudden, oh, it's Be Real. Right? <laughs> let's, let's be real. Right? And then everyone... Right? Looking at the lighting. <laughs> my kid, last week we're in the car. We're in the car. I'm driving. My wife's in the passenger seat. She's on her phone. And, and she's, she's not quite hearing what's going on behind us in the car, but I, I hear my kids start to argue. We have three. Pray for me. I'm raising Jen Alpha. Okay? <laughs> and my... And, and I hear one of my, my children say to the other one, you're stupid. <gasps> mm. Like in the rear view, I look up and it's like just Hiroshima, right? Like <laughs> you can't, you said the word. And my kids begin, like, immediately you can tell, like, this is going to break out, right? In the back, Calvin said this about me, right? Well, right at that moment, Lauren's in the passenger seat. Be real. <laughs> she hadn't heard it. She didn't know World War III was in the back seat, right? So all the children, they hear that, and it's like Pavlov, right? Everyone's just like, like, they're getting ready to throw down, and then all of a sudden they're like, cha-ching, right? <laughs> Beautiful family. Lauren's like... They're in the back right afterwards. I hate you, right? <laughs> Immediately. We live in a world of artificiality, right? I actually have this great idea. I told, I told Lauren this. I was like, listen, enough of Be Real. I have an app idea. It's called Too Real. And it's where you don't even get to, you, you don't even have a choice. You, wherever you're at with your phone, it just takes a photo and it posts it online. <laughs> Too Real. Right? <laughs>
Y'all know that's a great idea. It's like, Sammy must have a stomach bug. He's in the bathroom again. Uh, but we live in a world of artificiality. But, but here's the thing with that. Uh, you know this too. Your generation, under 25, statistically, the number one reason that's given for why people want nothing to do with Christianity. Nothing to do with the church. Hypocrites. Artificiality being everywhere, faking being everywhere. So one of the things that you will be faced with, if you're honest with yourself, is this question that will come up in the silent moments. Do I really have an authentic relationship with the Lord? Do I, I have an authentic profession or is it just an artificial projection, persona? <laughs> Do I have a deep faith or is it just a big, deep fake? Last week, we explored the habit of being in God's Word. And one of the things that follows from that, obviously, is that we could easily just be in God's Word to learn things about Him and know about Him, but not know Him. To actually walk with Him. And so this week, what we're going to look at is the key to authentically knowing the Lord. The habits of prayer and fasting. They're vital for knowing the Lord, for having an authentic walk with Him. We're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' famous sermon about how to know God, how to follow Him, how to be disciples, how to relate to Him. And Jesus says prayer and fasting is vital to an authentic relationship with him because, here's, here's what we're going to see, because prayer and fasting brings three aspects of you, of me, of us, to God, into relation with him that we usually run from or hide from. We try to avoid those three the aspects of you that God wants to know are the secret you, the vulnerable you, and the conflicted you. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, Lord, your word. Lord, it really is mind-blowing if we think about it that we're before you we're professing that you're the god of the universe and we're talking about having a relationship with you lord this this is complete crazy talk unless you have made yourself known to us and you have communicated that you want to know us and us to know you or that's beyond what we could even fathom. That's, Lord, we just ask that we would not play games with that. Lord, we, we do all of our deepest yearnings and longings ultimately find their way back to, they point to a desire to know you. And so, Lord, would, would you help us tonight 
to see how we can take those steps towards knowing you in a deep and true and authentic way. And so, Lord, would these not just be dry habits and just rote actions, but, Lord, would these be things that are filled with delight and a sense of your presence. Lord, we want to truly know you. And so, Lord, would tonight be a step, a massive step into that reality. Spirit, would you lead us? Would you speak to each of us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, the first part of you that God wants to authentically know is the secret you. Uh, let me start with this, when, to set it up. When, when you walked in here tonight, you all asked a question. I, I think every human being asks this question when they walk into any room. And that was, does anyone see me? Not obviously physically. Does anyone notice me? Does anyone see me? Do I matter? And, and if and when they, they see me, if they notice me, what do they see? It's, it's not a bad thing, right? That, that, that's a very human thing, right? It, like, we know this is how it works, right? Like, you're at a wedding, you're dancing, and you're wondering if he or she notices you, right? Like, you're dancing, but your head, it's kind of like looking back all the time, right? Right, you're in the library, you're studying, you can't pay attention because you're wondering, does he notice me? Right? You're on Instagram, right? How many people see my reel? It's a human thing, the desire to be seen, to be noticed. It's not a bad thing, but that human thing can become a hypocritical thing when the person that you begin to present publicly, the persona you put on, doesn't match who you truly are. And that's where we start in this text. Look again into Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. Jesus says this. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. See, in every culture, we get social status for certain things. In Jesus' day, it was looking super religious, right? That's why he says, you, you, oh, you love to pray, right? Why? Because they're communicating with God. No. They love to pray because they're seen by others, he says. You love, oh, it's just delicious, right? You love to be seen. Praying in public, right? I'm here and I'm praying to my daddy. I love you. I love you. Right. <laughs> Think of that elf scene. <laughs> right? And everyone, everyone sees them, though. And what does it elicit? Sorry, I need to stop with the cultural references. We're not going to get through this in time. <laughs> And what happens? Everyone sees them praying, and they say to themselves, wow, look at them. And Jesus says that moment, that response, 
soak it up because that's your reward. That's it. See, what happened was they turned a human desire to be seen into a hypocritical act of religious artificiality. Why? Because they want to be seen as something that they aren't. Now, if you know, let me do some bro psychoanalysis on these guys. What, what motivated them? Why, why would you go into public and act like and, and pray and put on this whole show and be a hypocrite? Why would, what would motivate doing that? Probably because of sense. They had a sense that who they really were, the secret them, the private them, would never be noticed, never be seen, never be valued, not worthy of attention, wasn't enough. So they settled for the deep fake and covered their private inadequacy with a public persona. Today, like we just talked about earlier, we live in an echo chamber socially where the pressure to do exactly this is massive. This, what I'm referring to is to put on a public persona that doesn't match your private self. Now, obviously, in our day, I'm not saying that, you know, you're going to get higher. The struggle is real. You're going to get higher social status if you go on campus and stand on the street corners and you pray out loud, right? Like, obviously, that's not, try it, you'll find out you're not getting a higher social status for that, right? I'm guessing if I told you application, don't do that on campus, you'd be like, cool, gotcha, right? But you do get social status for presenting some form or public persona that doesn't match the private you. This has always been part of being a human being, but it's amplified by social media. We can, like never before, project a public image that doesn't match our secret selves. Only instead of praying like they did, right? It's projecting the adventuresome self, the perfectly filtered, perfectly framed, saying the right things at all times, always happy, Always right, and obviously, I mean, in, in many ways, it's that's not a, in a it's not a bad thing, right? We we don't like. There's a reason why I don't get up in the morning and walk out into public, like in my bathrobe, with my hair all crazy, and just walk around, right? I'm being authentic. <laughs> but in an age of where everything can be filtered, everything can be framed, there is a subtle belief that creeps in. And here's, here's where I'm getting to. There is a subtle belief, just like what they had underneath, which is this. And we all fall prey to it. That there's actually parts of me, I need to pro project this, present this, because if they saw the real me, I would be completely unwanted, unnoticed. Now, why does that matter? Because when you live that way, see, I'm not, I'm not always so much interested in our day 
about the content of media. Obviously, there's some content I'm concerned about. But the, the problem is that we're only concerned about content and not the form of media. In other words, the form and how it shapes us. And one of the forms of media is always presenting a false self. Instead of believing that if I don't present that false self, that public persona, then that means, it means that whatever there is real about me, the secret me, is something that I must hide. Now, why does that matter? Because that creeps into how you relate to God. It's why Jesus says in the next verse, and hear this, he says, I want the secret you. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is saying that that part of you that you think is, is unworthy, that part of you that you think no one will value that part of you that you keep hidden, that secret part of you, that, that private part of you that you, you imagine that if anyone saw this part, then I wouldn't be noticed. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, I want that part of you. And so Jesus says, go and meet with me in a place where it's not filtered. Go to a place where it's not framed perfectly. Go to a place where you don't have a constant feed of, of a comment section. Meet me in a place where it's you, the secret you. See, what Jesus is saying here in prayer is he's inviting us regularly in the midst of an age. And guys, man, I feel, I was just uh, Delaney on staff, we were just talking before this, because uh, my daughter's 10. And, and so she's at kind of that front end getting ready to enter this stage of life where social media and all these things, and I see it every day. And I, I feel that every you are faced with in your private lives, you, you are aware of all the things in you that are, are broken. You're aware of all the things in you that you wish would grow or you could change. And yet you spend every moment looking at these public personas of everyone around you, and they seem perfect. And so it's so easy to begin to believe that this, this person that I know of doesn't match everyone around me. And so why would God want anything to do with it? And what Jesus says is in the midst of an age where that will always be a constant struggle because just the world we live in, he says, come to me in the secret place. Meet with me. He says, you will have the reward of my presence, of sensing my gaze upon you. And nothing, nothing, guys, nothing will be able to anchor your soul, will help you navigate through all these different choppy social waters like that. Jesus says, I want the secret you. Whatever that secret thing is, I want you. So how? Right. I know this is a series. I'm not going to be crazy heavy on howls tonight. We're going to send out a guide tomorrow that has kind of a, to follow up with some of this, with some practical things. 
But do you have a place where you can go that's, that's a secret, quiet place? Jesus would go early in the mornings, it said, right? He would get up early because probably his, the disciples, he would literally like hide from them. The disciples would go, where's Jesus? Let's go find him and bug him, right? First thing. So he'd go try to find Jesus. And so Jesus would go into wilderness and he'd talk to his father. If Jesus, the son of God, would go to a private place, a, a quiet place, to talk with his father, do the same. Right? Jesus went there. It's like his friends were coming to him. Do something in the morning where like your phone can't interrupt you. Turn off the notifications. Don't read your Bible or pray doing it on your phone. I, I'd actually say go analog on that just so that you're not interrupted. You're not tempted to scroll and turn away. But Jesus is saying here, essentially, when you, when you come to that quiet place, you turn down the volume on the world and you turn up the volume on me. key to an authentic relationship with God. Now, uh, but let's get a little bit more into how to pray. Uh, Second, bring to God the vulnerable you. Bring to God the vulnerable you. Uh, Verse 7, it says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So now they're just kind of talking and rambling, right? If we want to be seen, another thing about being human is we'll want to be heard. When I have a voice, it's a deeply human part of relating. But if the way that we're seen and noticed is by faking, then that would also continue with how we try to be heard, right? Makes sense. The empty words, these phrases, it seems what Jesus is saying are words that really don't have any, like, heart in them. There's no real meaning there. They're just being said, probably they're being said in a way that's meant to impress everyone around, but they don't really mean them. It's just meant to put on a show. So probably for them is things like, you know, stating their prayers in the most theologically accurate ways, like the, the attribute of God, God with your aseity, but you're unchanging and you're simple. Right? Like just going on and on with theological language. Presenting themselves as smart, probably strong, convictional. And here's the thing. We do the same thing by trying to sound smart, say the right things, right? Virtual signaling when we don't even believe something. Here's the thing. Jesus is saying, don't relate to me like that. It's simple. Jesus is saying, when you, when you come to me, don't, don't relate to me when you come to me in the way that, honestly, we usually do in public, which is we come and we, we, we come before Jesus, and it's like, okay, I've got to say everything exactly correctly. I've got to say the right things. I can't, I can't let on that I'm struggling with anything. I can't let on about any doubts. I can't let on about any hurts. I can't let on about my anger, my bitterness, my rage, and all these things inside. But instead, you just come before the Lord, and it's like, Lord, I submit my petition to you, Right? Just saying, don't relate to me. The real you is confused, right? We're we're hurt, we're angry, we're fearful, we're anxious, we're disappointed, we're happy, we're sad. That's, That's the real you. Why? Because we aren't, we don't have all the answers. We aren't always just completely steadfast and strong. We're vulnerable. We have weaknesses, we have dependencies, we have frailties. 
We're wounded. We're needing. And Jesus says, I want that. I want you. This is why then in verse 8, he says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus knows us. He knows our frame. He knows the state of our being. We don't have to come before him and, and fake it. And here's the thing. When we have this, this habit of coming before the Lord in prayer and actually laying out ourselves before the Lord, then guess what? We're actually relating to him as we are and inviting him to know us and see us as we are versus just putting on a show. And here's the thing. Even if you might say, well, I don't pray, so therefore I don't do that. No, you're just not relating at all then. And then you're never aware, usually, of those frailties. You're never aware of that vulnerability. So what he does is he gives them a template, the Lord's Prayer. Because here's the thing, we often don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. So he gives them this prayer because it's going to round out what they pray, and it's going to prompt them to spit up what they either forget or they, they don't really want to say. They don't want to admit it. And then it digs down where they're avoiding things. So, verse 9, the Lord's Prayer. He said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means Holy. And notice all these are going to be ours. You imagine our Father, if you're praying this prayer, it's an our. It immediately makes you think of others, not just yourself. And realizing that the Lord, he is the one who sustains you. The other thing that this prayer starts with is, hallowed be your name. It's something that immediately makes, turns and reorients you towards God as first and primary over all things. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer right there is one. So I'm like, I hate to admit it, but like double all of y'all's ages, okay? And I've been doing this Jesus thing now for, for since I was your age. That prayer still is so hard for that actually to happen in my life because here's how it goes. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus. Every day, the reorientation of coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I am, I, am, I am so prone to making this life about me. To bring that before him, to admit that to him, to pray to him, Lord, would you help me to live for your kingdom, to live for you and not just for myself. Give us this day our daily bread. Obviously, probably for you, you probably have three or four loaves in the freezer. So you're like, why would I pray for bread? I've got plenty, right? Well, you have needs. You are vulnerable. And you will kind of, you know, this theme of the series is not a question of if, which by the way, it wasn't until I got here tonight. I thought the series title was Relate. So sorry, I messed that one up. But this, series, this, tie, this theme of it's not a question of if. It's not a question of if you will actually pray for the things that you need. The, the question is, who will you go to? Who will you cry to for the things that you need? You will have needs. You are vulnerable. Who will you go to? Who will you cry to? 
Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Immediately, this digs down into areas we don't want to go to, which is I need forgiveness. I have wounded others, and others have wounded me. We are vulnerable to so much anger and bitterness and hatred in our hearts. Jesus is saying, bring it to me. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Have you ever thought or, or sat before the Lord in his presence? And actually, when it got to that part, like something about temptation, and actually said, Lord, this is what I'm tempted and want to do. Like being honest before the Lord, this is the thing. Lord, I want to look at this. I want to do this. And being honest before him. Because honestly, what we usually do in our walk with God is we, we kind of shame ourselves and we think about these things and we roar over these things and we just think about all the concepts and all the things we wish we hadn't done and we never bring it before the Lord and go, Lord, I am tempted by this. Will you help me not be led into this and beg him to free you? But in our relationship with the Lord, if we're honest, we just live with a deep shame and we pretend, oh, I'm just going to keep that hidden from the Lord. And he says, make it known to me. Don't fake it. He gives them this template because he's trying to round out and deepen their prayers. And, and here's the thing. In this prayer, they encounter God and all the vulnerabilities that they want to avoid, that we want to avoid. But what Jesus says is, you have to relate to me by my grace, that I provide for your needs that I'm the one who forgives you, that I'm the one who makes it possible for you to forgive others around you, that I'm the one who frees you, that I'm the one that gives you joy in life, that I'm the one, the ultimate life giver, that it's ultimately my kingdom forever. All of these things, it's by my grace that these are yours. And this is why, because right at the core of our relationship with Jesus, if it's going to be authentic, is grace, is what he says next after this. Because immediately then he goes, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Boom. Why does he say this? Because Jesus is saying here, I want you to relate to me. I want you to know me. And the only way you can know me is by my grace. See, when we hold on to bitterness, when we hold on to anger, when we hold on to hatred, when we just stew in that, it's one of the primary things in Scripture that could be called a grace blocker. That it will shield or eclipse God's heart and the experience of his love and grace unlike anything else. Hebrews warns of letting a root of bitterness go down in your life. I've seen it again and again and again. And why does he say that? Because he's saying, if you begin to live a life where you hold on to your bitterness and you're saying in your heart, your, that grace isn't sufficient for that person. Okay, that person, that wasn't so bad, that person, that person, but that person. What will happen over time is you will believe then if it's not sufficient for that person, if you are honest with yourself and your own sin, you will begin to wonder if actually I'm like that person and God's grace isn't sufficient for me either. And then the cycle begins where you relate to him outside of his grace. You begin to just go about it, trying to act self-righteous. And now you're back into, instead of deep faith, a deep fake. 
Jesus says, bring your woundedness, bring your confusion, bring the, the doubts, bring the needs, bring the places where your, your heart is bitter, bring the places where your heart is wounded, bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring your vulnerable, finite, broken self to me and lay your life before me through prayer. One of the ways, and again, we'll send out the guide, but if you want to know how to do this, one, there's a book called Praying the Bible by someone named Donald Whitney. We can get that out there tomorrow, too. Uh, but it's a nice, thin little book, and it walks through just how to pray through passages of the Bible like this. And one of the things, that, like I love, he's like, one of the things we fall into is you, ever, you can't pray because you just keep praying the same things in the same old way again and again and again. Well, guess what? When you pray through Scripture and you take passages like this, and you just marinate in them, and you pray them back to the Lord. And here's how you do it. Here's how I used to, when I was in California before I moved here, we had the largest, longest commute. Two hours every day for most people. They commuted to L.A. and back. Two hours every day. They would leave their house on Sunday night, put their kids to bed, and they wouldn't see them again until Saturday morning. That's 80% of people there. And then they're going to me, hey, pastor, how do I have a quiet time? Right? When do you have time for that? You're leaving every morning at 5.30 in the morning. So what we would do is we taught them how to just marinate in the Lord's Prayer. What you can do when you go through, and it's just generally in Scripture, when you read, imagine chewing on when you're driving or just you're going throughout your day, our, our Father in heaven. And you, and you emphasize each word and just take time to our. Lord, you're the, you're the, you're, you're the Father of all my friends. All my friends, you're the father of not just me, but my church. And Lord, I pray for their needs. And, and then you move on after you pray through that. And our father, father, Lord, it's so hard to believe that because you're a father, that's a good thing because of the things that my father has done to me. Or Lord, I'm just so thankful you're a father because I know I love my, my earthly dad. And so Lord, I'm, I'm thankful. That, you get what I mean? Take each word and just marinate in it and chew on it and emphasize each word and just pray them back to the Lord. And whatever comes to your mind, pray it to him. When you get to my daily bread, you're like, Lord, I have plenty of bread. I could use some more bread, right? But I could, I could use this or that. And you just go before the Lord. Talk to him. Lastly, he wants the conflicted parts of you. Verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's interesting. Did you catch this section is bookmarked, or bookended, sorry, bookended, by this theme of wanting to be seen by others. And again, what he says here is make sure in your life you seek to be seen and know the Lord. To be free. To not be so anchored in everyone else's view around you and trying to put on this fake persona, but be freed from that by living before the Lord. And that anchoring who you are. So you're not just spend your life dancing like a monkey for everyone's expectations. The interesting thing here, though, is Jesus all of a sudden switches from prayer to fasting. Did you catch that? He went from prayer to fasting. Now, and notice, 
He doesn't say, those of you who are super Christians, fast. He says to everyone, when you fast. Jesus actually seems to be assuming here. If you're a disciple of Jesus, when you fast, he assumes you'll fast. Now, Jesus, in this passage at least, doesn't unpack what fasting is. Usually, though, it's abstaining from food, but it could be media. It could really be fasting from anything. The point is to abstain from things that we have a hunger for in order to expose where we are numbing ourselves to God. Again, fasting is where we abstain from things for a period of time that we have a hunger for. Obviously, the most primal hunger would be for food, but to expose where we are numbing ourselves from God. So it exposes where we emotionally, right, eat to numb ourselves. It exposes where we doom scroll in order to, like, satiate that lack of control we have over the universe. Realize we're sex. We just use it to numb our emptiness. In short, fasting draws out the conflicted parts of us. What I mean by that is the parts of us that doubt, that are conflicted, that, that don't fully believe that really Jesus is enough, that the Lord is enough for me, but there are things and other things that I, I actually, if I have those things, then I'll have joy, then I'll have satisfaction. The Lord really doesn't provide that. That's why Jesus tells them to stop leveraging their fasting to put on a fake persona, right? So they're out there and they're, they're like, oh man, I'm, oh, I'm just fasting for the Lord. It's so painful, right? And so everyone's like, wow, you're so super spiritual, right? It's almost like they're being able, while being publicly and physically trying to make themselves look like pale and hungry and all that, what they're really trying to put on an air of, of I'm so super spiritual, so super spiritually healthy. Everyone goes, wow, look at you. But Jesus is saying, no, you're hungry. Spiritually, you're hungry. And you're deeply conflicted about where to satisfy that hunger. That's, that's why they're trying to evoke the response of other people, because they're trying to satisfy that inner hunger with everyone around them going, wow, look at you. Because for them, it's going to be like a pride thing. Jesus is saying, be real with me. What he's saying is in fasting, what you do is you, you forego, let's say it's a, it's a meal. And, and as you forego it, then what happens is all of a sudden, when you forego that meal, then when you get hangry, right, then, then it's like, what, what is, where's that coming from? Where is that coming from? See, here's, fasting works like this. Uh, we tend to think in our lives that everything is good. And when everything is, uh, like imagine a glass of water sitting here on the table. There's no table here, by the way. Uh, but a glass of water sitting here. There's a table. Uh, and when everything is calm and nothing's happening, it looks clear. Now, there might be a lot of sentiment in there. Everything's easy going. You can't tell that there's dirt in there. But if you come along and kind of bump it, this is what stress does in your life. This is what hard times do in your life. It bumps it. It stirs all that up, and you go, wow, that was in there. 
It's the same way that kind of fasting works. Is what it does is it evokes out of you where there is this hunger that you're trying to satisfy outside of God with good things in life, but they've become a God thing in your life. It reveals when you fast how you bury, you know, whatever's roiling in you with whether it's chips or gaming or scrolling, hookups, spending, impulse purchases. When you force yourself to fast from those things for a time, it reveals those conflicted parts of you that it's like, what if, but if I can't have that, then how am I going to be satisfied? And the Lord goes, yes. And that thing is controlling you and that thing is driving your life. And so what Jesus says is, is think of the things that you would be able to for a short period of time that you would just say, okay, I'm going to forgo this thing. And then you take time before the Lord during that fast, throughout the fast, to meet with him, to kind of do a check engine to figure out what's going on. What are the things that you constantly are trying to go to it? And what are the emotions that come up? And what are the thoughts that are going through your mind? And it reveals to you what's really inside, what's conflicted within you. Again, we'll send out a guide about, you know, for uh, doing a, a fast. I, I know there's a lot of different issues related to fast right now for time. But I would just say consider foregoing a meal or two or for a day, right? When you start fasting, by the way, if you've never done it, don't, don't like, try to do a 40-day fast, okay? Just do one day. Like, don't do the Moses plan, like, <laughs> right, right away. Like, do the, uh, let's do the Mosey plan. Just mosey on into it. Like, do a day. Do a day. And then as you forego, and, it, and again, it may, might be food. It could be social media. I know that's kind of a popular thing now, right? Like social media fast and all. Um, there's, it's, it can be healthy. Uh, there are any number of things. And again, none of these things are about food's a good thing. Social media is not, it's not evil. <laughs> uh, there's uh, gaming. Uh, it could be any, any number of things. So what are the things that probably right now take up an inordinate amount of your time? Uh, when you are stressed, you immediately turn to that thing. Different things that might reveal what could be. If you don't know and you ha ask a friend, where are the things that you see me turning to? Well, again, we'll send out a guide on that. But here's, I'll close with this. Don't settle for a deep fake. Just don't. Don't, don't settle for the deep fake. We're an artificial relationship with the Lord. Establishing a habit of prayer and fasting will be vital to that. Because Jesus wants the secret you. Jesus wants the vulnerable you. Jesus wants the conflicted parts of you. A real Jesus for the real you. Imagine that. A deep fake, deep faith, not deep faith, an authentic relationship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you again that you desire that we would bring ourselves to you as we are, as recipients of your grace, by faith, that we wouldn't hide from you. 
that the secret parts of us, Lord, that we wouldn't try to just keep them secret and sealed off from you, that we wouldn't try to just act as if we have it all together and those vulnerable parts to just put up a wall that keeps you out. The places where we're conflicted that we would We'd allow you to reveal them to us, to free us, to heal us. Lord, in our day, we feel it so acutely, the temptation to swerve in that direction of artificiality. But Lord, would you not let us go there? Lord, would you give us an authentic walk with you? Lord, would you meet us where we take steps in prayer and fasting, Lord, would you meet those in this room as they do so? Spirit, would you, would you reward with your presence? And Lord, would that lead to a life of joy, a life of freedom, a life that honors you and walks in the light? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.